Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Patsy Deference is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. So from God's country back to Boston, where there is a tornado warning 10 miles south, rain and thunder ricocheting in my neighborhood, Andrew Callahan and Doug Cott of the Boston Herald, happy to be back from Green Bay, I think, after two exciting Patriots practices against the Packers. We learned a ton. I thought there was a major moment there for the offense. We've been tweeting nonstop. Uh, you had some excellent takeout pizza. I had a brisket mac and cheese. I'm still thinking about two days later, but we're going to talk football today. So long as we survive this stretch as we record late Friday morning, we're going to hand out some awards uh, for those joint practice because, because in complete honesty, those practices are not only weighed more by the team as far as where mm-hmm. they think they are. They're just flat out more important. Okay. The game's yeah. going to get televised Saturday night. It won't matter as much. You'll see it. You'll be bored. It's just the thing we have to go through now in light of the new preseason format, three games, a lot more joint practices. Uh, This podcast is still brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Having said all that, Doug, you get 30 seconds right off the top. This might be a new segment for me. Just spit it out. What does this mean? What mattered? What did you see the last two days that said this matters most? I think what matters most is that the team showed dramatic improvement from Wednesday to Thursday. On Wednesday, they even said things came out a little bit flat. They, at best, had a draw against the Packers on Wednesday, at least from my estimation. And somewhere along the way on Thursday's practice, energy was high. Mac Jones was hitting deep balls and stride. The defense was dominating. Uh, so that's the biggest thing. The The other biggest thing to me is that all camp, basically since the spring, I've been waiting for Mac Jones to hit a deep ball in stride. And we finally saw it on Thursday with Devontae Parker. That doesn't mean that everything's been fixed with Mac Jones deep ball and this offense in general. But quite honestly, it was just good to finally see that happen. So let's take people behind the curtain. You and I are across the aisle on a JetBlue flight last night, also dealing with thunder and rain and star. I don't know what's happening. Like the answer is cl- climate change and global warming and things are Why going to help. plane just rocking, even when it was just sitting on the tarmac? There I felt like I was concerning. in a little toy plane that a child was playing with and it was just <laughs> going side to side like this. Anyway, yeah. so I, I write up against terrible Wi-Fi connection and post my, you know, 2000, whatever word recap. Same thing I've been doing every day of camp this far and you very kindly quote tweet it add your takeaways the first one is what you just said and it's mac hit a deep ball in stride you've been waiting all of camp and here i am idiot who just wrote 2400 words on all of practice has done probably forty thousand words in all of training camp and didn't mention that once and it's so on point i'm going how did i miss this and it wasn't that i missed the play again we all yeah. tweeted about yeah. this mac jones yeah. finished his two-minute drill thursday 45-yard bomb to Devontae Parker down the left sideline, two steps and Rizal Douglas, touchdown the Patriots sideline goes bananas, okay? But I kept talking more about can he hit a deep throw? And there have been some here or there, you know, but it was in stride and it was on point and it was his second of the day. And to me, that's what mattered to me. This was a moment. Like when we tell the story about the 2023 Patriots, it will either be 
this is the first sign of they're better than we thought they were. They were as good as they expected to be. And they're 10 and seven, maybe 11 and six. This was the starting point. Or it will be something he spoke to Wednesday, which you mentioned was not as good of a practice for the Patriots. And Mac said, we just need to be more consistent, which hello, by the way, it's August. Like that's going to happen. That's true of every single football right. team at this point. But that will be a flash, a sign that they just couldn't get it together for one reason or another if the season doesn't end in 10 and 7 or 11 and 6, but 8 and 9, 7, 10 or worse, which I don't think it will. Um, let's move on to Zeke. We took, I don't know how many pictures and videos <laughs> of Zeke Elfia, enough to probably qualify us for the, the Zeke paparazzi. The, uh, there's something there. It's late. It's, it was like a bit to me at, at one point. I was like, Zeke yeah. carrying the football. Zeke. Catching a pass, but Patriots fans <laughs> were eating it up. So whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Th- and we should, you know, again, like I, I said this, uh, I don't know, a couple of nights ago. Imagine if you told yourself with your fan reporter, 2018, 2019, the Patriots in the next four or five years are going to sign Juju Smith-Schuster and Ezekiel Elliott and throw in like Hunter Henry and Mike Kosicki. You'd be like, yeah. what is this locker room? Which then was, you know, not devoid of personality, but like right. Edelman's on his lax legs and knows it. Gronk had left. And so it's just a different vibe, a different energy, and it's great to see him out there. Uh, Wednesday, positional drills only for Zeke. Thursday, six carries and one catch by my charting uh, and team drills on Thursday. That was much bigger of a workload than I expected from Zeke on day two for him. Less than 48 hours of the job with the Patriots. What did you think of Thursday? Yeah, full disclosure, uh, we knew that we were leaving practice like as soon as interviews were done on Thursday and that we wouldn't have a ton of time to write before we got on our flight and everything like that. So I like pre-wrote this whole article on Ezekiel <laughs> Elliott, like thinking we were going to talk to him after practice. We didn't, but it was all about how like, yeah, they're ramping him up, not giving him a full workload yet. And they surprised me by giving him, it wasn't a full workload, but by actually having him take snaps against the Packers defense, because I was thinking this guy has not practiced since January. That's seven months ago, skipped OTAs, skipped minicamp, skipped the first three weeks of training camp. There's no way they're going to let him take a hit yet. Than they did. So that was a big surprise to me. Uh, but the way that it was explained to me was basically just that he missed three weeks of training camp. So, you know, this isn't anything about him specifically, but any player in that circumstance would need to get in football shape in a hurry because now we are three weeks away from the regular season. They want him to be ready for week one. So even if that means accelerating a little bit, uh, during this summer period and during joint practices, when maybe you would hope to ramp things up a little bit more like you would with most players during training camp, they now need to get him on the ground running. Um, and, and that's a little bit of what we saw. Um, still not quite sure what that means for Saturday's game if we actually see him in there, but I would expect this to be accelerated again next week against the Titans and to get him as heavily involved as humanly possible because the Patriots do not have a lot of alone time at this point before week one. No. And that's the shocking thing. And I put this at the end of that, you know, long practice report that missed your biggest takeaway was they have two practices left in what will be quote unquote training camp. And they're both joint sessions next week against the Titans Tuesday, Wednesday, and then their preseason finale is next Friday, a week from today on the 25th. For Ezekiel Elliott, we talked to uh, Patriots assistants this morning. Very early, they're still in Green Bay, obviously. And then they're going to go to Nashville. Uh, we're home via Zoom. Talked to Bill O'Brien. He said of Zeke, quote, today, uh, he's smart. He's been in a different system. He understands football, end quote. And that was evident 
that was the reason. Like you don't jump into those practices, which are live. They're meaningful. Like we covered every single player's being evaluated. You're not holding anything back from your playbook because this is the team you're not going to see next season or probably the year after that. And maybe not the year after that in green Bay. So there's no risk here. Like you might have in other practices or scenarios of overloading players or showing too much. And Zeke was right in there anyway. O'Brien also called him. Uh, and this was no worthy to me, a three down back. And yeah. Look, we, we don't need to discuss the blitz pickup in the short yardage anymore, which I think that that speaks to. Did that catch your attention in a way that says they feel maybe we can lead on him as our top running back? Not to put Ramondre Stevenson in a, a garbage bin, but like say Stevenson gets hurt. Are they comfortable with Zeke? Maybe more than we expected. Yeah, and that, that goes to, I was talking to some people even within the organization, and the question I was asking was like, do you think that Zeke, can basically just replicate what Ramondre Stevenson does. And the answer was essentially, yeah. I mean, they're pretty similarly sized backs. Uh, Zeke, six feet, 228. I think Ramondre is right around that same, um, you know, height and weight as well. I think that Ramondre Stevenson obviously is the more efficient back at this oh, point yeah. in their careers because he's younger. But I think that, yeah, you can use Ezekiel Elliott on early downs. You can use him on second down. You can use him on, on third down catching the ball out of the backfield, picking up blitzes, all those different things, all those things that they were relying on Ramondre Stevenson uh, to do last year. And I did a podcast with Alex Barth earlier in the week, and, and he brought up kind of a, a interesting point where at times last year, I'm not sure if it was the year before, you saw the Patriots basically just rotating their running backs by drives. And maybe that's how they handle this with, with Ramondre Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott, where it's like, all right, give Ramondre Stevenson one drive, give Elliott the next drive, then give Stevenson two drives, then give Elliott one drive. And I don't think it's going to be one for one with those guys but you could see two for one or three for two or something like that uh, where they do kind of split up the workload and trust both guys to be doing the same things in this offense. And that's what that whole three down back, you know, verbiage from Bill O'Brien. That's what that meant to me. So two things on this, I need to start uh, on Alex Barth because the last time he was brought up in this podcast, Mike Giardi was doing a terrible impersonation that we cut and then put on social and then got a lot of run 50, 60,000 impressions. Uh, Alex Barth makes a great point because back mm -hmm. then, you know, the split was between Ramondre Stevenson, emerging star back with all the talent in the world, very all around player and Damian Harris, who fits in Ezekiel Elliott style mold. He's better in short yardage. Okay. He finally came around a blitz pickup last year, but in the sense of just a big burly guy who's not going to make you miss Harris is younger, probably a little bit better of a pure runner, but that's a rotation they were comfortable with last year. And now with a player you trust in other facets of the game a little bit more in Zeke, even if it doesn't have the same burst, it's it's a fair point. The other thing about the rotation is, I think you'll see this early, but when the chips are down, as they say, do they still say that? Is this like a poke? This is a poker thing, right? Like we're not talking about Fritos and Lays, like the chips are down, right? Well, yeah, I think so. Okay, because yeah. the chips the chips are never up as far as I'm saying. Like we're not playing poker and anti gravity. Yeah, juggling the chips. Yeah, yeah in yeah. space. Okay. Anyway, yeah. uh, the thing about Zeke, I think the rotation will be early when it is November and December and January. Stevenson is going to be the guy. Like I, that will be a snap count or a playing time percentage that we saw last year, sixty to seventy percent of these games because they need to keep him fresh and yet still have their best players be at their best down the stretch. And down the stretch last year, as I wrote a couple of days ago. Reminder, Stevenson averaged 51 yards after contact per game up until Christmas Eve. And then over their last three games against the Bengals, Dolphins, and Bills, that fell to 27 yards uh, after contact 
per game. So a huge drop off. And you can go back five weeks, the last five games, including, you know, the Raiders game and the Cardinals. It's a very similar figure, just a huge drop off. And you can't afford that. As far as Zeke though, what do you want to see next from him? Um, well, yeah, I'd like to see him get in a preseason game. I don't know. I, I personally don't know when that's going to be probably week three. I'm thinking, but who knows? Maybe they surprise us by putting him out there. Um, and also just seeing that full complete workload out of him uh, to know that he can handle it. Um, you know, we saw him a little bit during those individual drills. I think there might be some room for him to get a little bit quicker, get a little bit more explosive as he gets his feet under him a little bit more. Um, because that was one thing that I was looking at in this practice is, you know, sometimes a guy comes in and they just blow you away on the practice field. Like, like Randy Moss, when he came in 2007, it's like, okay, Antonio guy, Brown. 2019. Right. Yeah, Antonio yeah. Brown 2019. These guys are just on different level athletically than other players, and that's why they've been so good. No criticism of Ezekiel Elliott. He hasn't done this for seven months. He's getting up there in age. Like That's not necessarily what I saw from him on the practice field. So I would like to maybe see that quickness and, and explosion and everything like that improve, but ultimately it's just about him getting in full football shape ready to take on whatever workload that they throw on him. Because like you said, that could be a little bit heavier early in the season than it would be late in the season, because they do want to keep Ramondre Stevenson fresh. I think that's why we were seeing them managing his workload early in training camp. Yeah. From, from, from day two, like that, yeah. you know, we've moved on from that. I've written about it, done some reporting around their decisions in the sports science department. And it's still, it's still jarring a little bit. Like I'm picking yeah. up very small pieces. Most of them are picked up. But the pieces after just watching a Patriots training camp where their best players are like, yeah, take take a practice off. And I get it. I, I don't disagree with it. I think no. adapting and, and being uh, more open to the lessons of sports science are good things, especially when your depth is so bad uh, at that position running back, which is why Zeke is here in the first place. All right. I know you know this, but I'm not sure you feel it. So I want you to listen very closely. Football season is about to kick off high school, college, and especially the NFL. And in the NFL, FanDuel is giving you a chance to win all season long because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every single time that team wins in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. You can use these bonus bets on things like spreads, player props, over-under, and ton-tons more. New bets, new games, new everything every single week in the NFL at FanDuel. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. Gambling problem in Massachusetts? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hope is here at gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Must be 21 year older and present in select states. Bonuses are issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max bonus $50 unless specified otherwise. Restrictions do apply. Please see terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Last thing on him, and then we'll go to the quarterbacks because we started with Mac, and that, again, is, is the headline. Uh, I want to see some power running. He got a couple goal line carries in Green Bay. It's difficult to tell. They had referees on hand. He definitely got stopped short on one. I think powered through in another one. One from the five he got through, and then the ball was ripped out. Unclear if that was ripped out at the goal line or after, but he walked up to Bill Belichick, gave Belichick a pat on the back, and Bill had a little smirk on his face. So maybe that's, hey, it's my second day at work. You know, come on. Like, I, you know. Uh, or it's a, I was in. And he's like, I know. So that's it for Zeke. Uh, for the quarterbacks, Mac Jones, 
two days of practices. These are all live 11 on 11 drills. So there's no hedging. There's no qualifying. This is competing. We want to perform well against your defense. We don't know what's coming. Here's how he did 29 of 42. That was a 69% completion percentage over the two days. No interceptions by my counting. And this, this gets a little gray area because the quarterbacks can't be hit. Nine sacks. Nine sacks, obviously a problem. We'll table that for yeah. now. The two plays we mentioned, long balls to Parker to end the two-minute drill. Tyquan Thornton had a 40-yard bomb fully laid out, had to leave practice afterward, but was another play in which Mac is attacking downfield because he has the time, the receiver is open, and he's got the confidence to open that up. Uh, on the downside for Mac, two near interceptions on Wednesday went right through the hands of Razul Douglas, who uh, jumped one pass that he was a beat late on, throwing it was a kind of like a comeback on the sideline late in Wednesday's practice. And before that, he wanted a seam throw up to Hunter Henry, which on the power rankings of Mac Jones's favorite things, like there's ice cream, there's winning football games, and this seam throw to Hunter Henry because it's just the feathery touch that he had. It's a receiver that he trusts. And Razul Douglas didn't fall for the little screen that had come underneath as one of these, you know, um, high-low concepts that they like to run. He didn't fall for the bait low, drops back high, gets two hands on it again, falls through. So it's not to say those were interceptions, but it's plays that have to be of note. Uh, aside from all of that, or pick what I just said, what stood out to you about Mac? You know, one thing is a lot of the interceptions are near interceptions that we've seen from Mac this summer, at least from, I, I guess, like anecdotally or just from what I've noticed. It, it's when there is some pressure, maybe the play breaks down a little bit, maybe he's running, maybe he's scrambling. Like maybe these aren't necessarily throws that he would make in a regular season game, but that's the key is that these can't be throws that he makes during a regular season game that he does have to make a better decision than he's making in practice. And you'd like to start to see him make those decisions in practice and maybe not try to force things. And maybe that comes later in the summer. Uh, But it was an issue that we saw last year with Mac Jones, I think does need to be corrected. Um, But I don't know, not to, not to harp on this, but, and, and I think that the reason why like that's my main takeaway from practice and why, you like you're just dealing in more minutia right now in all in all of your practice yes. reports and you're like you're treating everything individually whereas i can kind of take a step back sometimes um and look at things a little bit more big picture but i mean i i can't lessen the point here that i don't know how many throws we've seen mac jones throw deep because they haven't actually thrown deep that much this summer anyway but where the ball will land five to 10 yards in front of Kendrick Bourne or in front of Taekwon Thornton or in front of someone else. And on Wednesday, we did see Jordan Love hit a couple of wide receivers deep in stride. And I was thinking at the time, like, that's what the Patriots need. That's what I need to see out of Mac Jones. That's what I need to see out of the Patriots offense because Mac Jones was so good at completing deep throws at Alabama. But I think a lot of that probably was due to the fact that he had Jalen Waddle, he had Devontae Smith, he had John Mechie, he had all these great wide receivers. And, you know, that's not to say that he doesn't have great wide receivers now because these are NFL players, but like the caliber of player that he was playing at at Alabama compared to the competition was pretty much absurd. Um, but overall, I think that it was really good to see Mac Jones improve significantly from Wednesday to Thursday. When Thursday was probably the best practice that I've personally seen of Mac Jones. Yes. Maybe since he was, it, what was it? It was when Cam Newton got, was in COVID protocol. And what was it? A joint the, practice with the Giants when Mac Giants. Jones had like one incompletion the entire day. Like that's the other one that comes to mind for me as him just kind of blowing everyone out of the water. And I think that that's what we were almost kind of used to watching Patriots 
experience practices of like Tom Brady doing that on a day-to-day basis. So like, it almost felt like normal for a quarterback to be doing that back then. But now this is a lot more noticeable when Mac Jones is really letting things up, uh, especially against a team like the Packers. One thing I will say, and I don't want to belabor this point too much as well, but yeah, the Patriots came out a little bit flat on Wednesday. Like I said, bit of a draw against the Packers, but then they're able to go back, watch the film, correct things, see what they need to correct, see what the Packers were throwing out them, and they're able to go back the next day and look much better. They can't do that during the regular season. Like, you cannot play a game on Saturday and be like, oh, we messed that up. All right, let's watch the film and play it again on Sunday. Like, that doesn't exist. So I almost kind of look at Saturday's practice maybe as the little bit more real Patriots because they were coming in. Thursday's practice or Wednesday's practice? Wednesday's practice where like before they were able to go back and make the adjustments because those are things that you can't necessarily do during the regular season. So that's specifically what I want to see out of Mac Jones now next week against the Titans is that he can come out right away during Tuesday's practice and have that really solid practice without the benefit of going back, watching the film and making adjustments for the next day. All right. There is a, there is a lot there. And I think I'll I'll just start with the fact that you mentioned progress. And to me, you know, a a month into training camp, we were marking progress for this offense from the disastrous week or two. And that's because there's generally a positive correlation between time doing something and getting better at it. Whether you're playing football, you're doing podcasts, you're driving, whatever it might be. But the people who thrive in those scenarios work to accelerate, you know, that correlation and strengthen it over time. And for the Patriots, we heard from Bill O'Brien today, and I don't think this was coach speak because of all the coaches that we talked to or I've talked to over the last five, six years, and even going back to college, let's just make it 10 and do high school. Bill O'Brien is pretty much as straightforward as they come. He won't answer yeah. a question he doesn't want to, but he's not going to BS you to death. And he said, uh, I'll just pull up the quote because it spoke really well to me about where they are as far as the players trusting the coaches again, the coaches yep. empowering the players and where they're coming together. Something Max spoke to last week, as far as we're taking the things we're doing well, and we're throwing out the things we don't. He said, quote, this is Bill O'Brien. I can't state more emphatically that these guys have done a great job of learning and working with us and we work with them. And I think it's just really been a good process to this point. So I'm encouraged because that process showed itself Thursday, but also the Wednesday practice was again, really on the offensive line. And I'll, I'll go down Max yep. two minute drill on Wednesday, which still led to a field goal. Uh, The play-by-play was as follows. Juju Smith-Schuster dropped the pass in the flat. Okay. Uh, Devontae Parker made a catch on a nice comeback route along the sideline. Sack. Kendrick Bourne over the middle on a dig route. So you're talking like 15, 20 yards downfield. Smith-Schuster catch over the middle, much shorter. Scramble, and then a throwaway. That two-minute drill is worth at least two other 11-on-11 periods to me because it's with your best players, your best plays, you're under pressure. As they say, the chips are down. And Mac pretty much delivered there. And not in a way that was even close to what he did on Thursday. Here's the two-minute drill from yesterday. Right. Juju Smith-Schuster caught his face the first target. This was an out route. Ramondre Stevenson run inside. Stevenson check down. Hunter Henry catch over the middle. Zach, you just have to have one. And Devontae Parker down the sideline. 45 yards. Everyone celebrates and goes crazy. So it's the progress. But the way they're coming about it is so much faster and cleaner and evident than it was a year ago. And I think that speaks to what will be, of course, a better offense in September and October, but one that I think could still surprise us, even if the returns so far have been, I don't want to say meager, but a step above that. Yeah. No, I I think that's fair. And I think that obviously 
like you said, there is still a lot of issues on the offensive line. I think that some of those might get cured, but I'm still, I'm not sure if I've said this in a podcast yet, but like, I'm a little bit concerned about someone like Cole Strange, like Cole Strange, we we just all assume that he's going to come in and be better than, you know, Riley Reef or Cody Russi or, you know, Antonio Mafia and all these guys that are in there right now of like, okay, the offensive line's to be fixed when all these guys come back. We that's no guarantee. Cole Strange has now missed almost all of training camp in his second season when he needed to show dramatic improvement. So I don't know. I think the offensive line is obviously a concern moving forward, but overall, yes, a, a positive week for the Patriots. I think that I'm just trying not to get too overly excited about it and saying, like, all right, this is the turning point, everything's fixed now, everything's great. Because yeah, 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 I think that there's there is still a lot to prove here. But I think that you made a good point earlier where like this is the week that you look back three months from now and say, like, okay, was that the turning point for this for this team, for this offense, for everything? Or was that just this little glimmer of hope that immediately went away the next week against Tennessee or in week one against uh, the Eagles or, or whatever it is. But I do think that there's a possibility that we will look back at this week as being a turning point for the Patriots. Uh, last thing on Mac, we'll do Zappy really quickly and then get to the offense as a whole defense is coming. I promise lots of fights, which we haven't even talked about partly because, and I love our colleagues on the beat. Um, they're excellent. I think we were the best beat in the entire league and you would know better having gone national for a few years uh, than I am. The thing about joint practices is like, this is what happens. You know, it gets chippy. It gets heated. Right. Like the, things are going to spill over. I'm glad the Patriots weren't, you know, dead as a doornail, as they say, or mm-hmm. lacked that energy or, you know, weren't a bunch of Eeyores. Like, it's just, you know, that this is what happens. I'm, happens. They fought. It happened. We'll move on. The fact they had a better practice is the bigger part of this. Um, the one thing on the, the downfield passing, just because it deserves, whether you, you want to call it as a moment as I did or something that you noted again, uh, very cutely that they hadn't done a whole lot of the offense as a whole is still operating with 10 to 15 yards of the line of scrimmage. This is a heavy screen RPO offense. So more play action, the pieces fit, but you do need to take pressure off the top of the defense because, you know, the margin for error there is smaller mm-hmm. and the danger is a little bit greater, which doesn't sound like it makes a whole lot of sense. A seven yard slant, like what could go wrong? If you throw an interception, on a bomb 40, 50 yards downfield. That's an arm punt. Okay. You just punted one or two plays earlier than you might have anyways. If you throw an interception or have two interceptions, like Bailey Zappi did as we moved to him on passes within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, that's a problem. That's a potential pick six uh, going the other way. So the longer you live there, you incur some of that risk while also understanding, you know, you could win by paper cut. That's what we've seen. Um, but the deep ball, in addition to being completed, something new to me says they could build on that. Bailey Zappi. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go through him quickly. 33 or 49 over the two days. That's a 67% completion percentage. Uh, two interceptions, both tipped, but he's had a problem with batted passes all summer. Yeah. 12 sacks. And we're, we're going to get to the offensive line, but Bailey Zappi on at least half of those, uh, either because it's a coverage sack or he just doesn't get the ball out, mm-hmm. is holding the ball like it's his blankie and he's two years old again. And so he's a young quarterback but he's someone who's counted on to be a backup, shown himself to be very capable in a couple of games last year. His two-minute drill Thursday, again, the most telling moment from practice, 8 of 14, talk about those paper-cut offenses, finished with a touchdown pass to Keishon Booty, who then broke out the gritty. Everyone danced, celebrated. It was fun. It was great. But a much more volatile, uneven performance from Bailey Zappi, and he's working with the backup offensive line, but a lot more of those sacks were on him and can kind of continue the concerns we had had, you know, now through three weeks of training camp. 
Yeah, he. Uh, it's it's kind of a trend with young Patriots quarterbacks, where especially during training camp and practice and everything like that, they're just so indecisive. Like they they just hold the ball for so long. We saw it with Jimmy Garoppolo way back in the day. Um, you know, Mac Jones a little bit early in his career, we're seeing being a little bit more indecisive. So I'm not sure if it's a. Obviously, the coaches don't want them to be doing that, but maybe they do want them to just be able to scan the field as much as possible. You're not actually going to get hit, like see what you've got in front of you. And then once the game starts, actually speed those things up, because I do think that Zappi did a better job last year of speeding things up when he was actually on the field when games mattered. But you'd love to see it during practice. And the fact that he's taking that many sacks, the fact that he is still kind of, you know, scrambling around the pocket, moving around. It's almost like a lot of the completions that you're seeing from him, you can almost throw them out because like, he's not going to have time to be doing that. He's not going to be able to evade the pressure, you know, roll out to his right and hit DeMario Douglas or whoever it is, because he's going to be ground into the turf by a 250 pound (laughs) defensive end. Uh, He's not going to have the benefit of being like, Oh no, 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 you didn't sack me. I ran away from you. Obviously in this situation. So it, not nearly as positive. I know that he had a much more positive early part of the session Thursday. I was yes. watching the defense during that part. Uh, but everything that I saw from Zappi was kind of a continuance of what we've seen all summer from him. But I will say, I, I kind of want to be a Bailey Zappi defender right now. And I know that sure. you hate to get into like the, the dirt with, you know, Patriots fans who are kind of throwing out hot takes there. But like the amount of, tweets that i've seen and maybe they're all from the same person i don't know i'm not monitoring this of like cut zappy use malik as your second string i'm like the patriots have a really great second string quarterback situation with bailey zappy even if you don't think that he's going to be a future starter like this is still a young quarterback who's ascending who maybe most importantly can continue to push mac jones like mac jones cannot be complacent with Bailey Zappi behind him just because he is a second year quarterback who won games as a starter last year. And I like, <laughs> this isn't a competition thing. This is Mac Jones still has someone looking behind him. Who's not Brian Hoyer. Who's not Damien Heward. Like, you know, Tom Brady had earlier in his career. Right. Not like this, like this year after year backup quarterback, like, this is a guy that people were talking about last year is like, could he be a starter? So I think that that is actually a good thing. Even if Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi don't have that relationship that like Tom Brady and Brian Hoyer did where he could help him out. I think it helps him out just by pushing him from behind. All right. Uh, competition is good. Co-sign there. Uh, next time you come on, we need to do a three-way podcast with Tom Curran, who would be vomiting uh, right now. I think in reaction because he was arguing on TV with me last week that like they need to trade for Case Keenum who wasn't even the second quarterback. I, I, don't, uh, I don't think that's good for Texas. Mac Jones. I, I don't know. Yeah. And, and I'm not here to argue yeah. that. I, I, You and I are both in agreement. Mac Jones, whatever lead he had on Bailey Zappi, that's grown based on his performance yeah. in training camp. He's the better quarterback, more experienced, more talented, yada, yada. We're not doing that part. Right. But you want to defend Bailey Zappi, let's talk about the good because, you know, his completion percentage, pretty close to Max. He did take right. more chances. Sometimes that resulted, again, 12 sacks. Um, you know, you're looking at now, what is that? You're talking about close to 20% of his dropbacks or sacks. Not good. But he had a period in the red zone, which was our contact for the first week of camp saying these numbers aren't good, but you need to know inside the 20, it's really hard to complete passes. He went after a sack <laughs> five for five, yeah. all five touchdowns, two to DeMario Douglas, 
Kendrick Bourne, Anthony Ferkser, and I think Kayshawn Booty had the last one. Excellent. Best red zone period we've seen from any quarterback this summer. So hats off to Bailey Zappi on that. It was really impressive. Uh, and let's let's lead that right into the rest of the offense because I just want to go player position you were most encouraged by here. I'll lead off. Demario Douglas had nine catches mm-hmm. yesterday. Nine catches. And last night, I had a dream that highlights perfectly how unwell I am as a human being and unbalanced because I dreamt that after writing, Demario Douglas set the record for catches in training camp practice, hit publish on that JetBlue flight uh, that was held within a two-year-old's grasp, that I had a headline from day four of training camp where Demario Douglas has 10 catches is right there in big and bold in the bostonherald.com. And I'm like, oh no, how can I screw this up? Lo and behold, I wake up and things are fine for this person who just had this dream. But anyway, Douglas tore it up in 11 on 11s. He caught all but one of those nine passes, not 10, from Bailey Zappi and not Mac Jones. He did take some snaps with Mac Jones. Whether you want to talk about Douglas as a whole or the receivers, uh, or Douglas or the receivers as a whole, you pick. I was encouraged by all of them. Devontae Parker had six catches, uh, including two big touchdowns over the two days. Kendrick Bourne, multiple touchdowns. Like this receiving group showed out against a secondary that includes Jair Alexander. Big wins, gold stars, whatever you want across the board. Yeah, I would go with Parker or Devontae Parker. Okay. And I think that he's had uh, like just a, a really interesting summer overall. I think the Patriots are encouraged by what they've seen from him this summer but uh there was a a Packers reporter asked me how Juju Smith-Schuster has been in practice and I was like yeah he's been fine like it's a lot of like you know short completions he's pretty consistent we've seen a little bit more drops from recently but I was just kind of comparing that to Devontae Parker where like you see wow plays out of Devontae Parker and it's more inconsistent there's you know times where he disappears a little bit there's times when you know players can break up passes over him. But I think that that's kind of what we saw from Devontae Parker this weekend is that he's not going to be a guy who catches 80 passes in a season. And he didn't do that last year, but if he can catch 30 or 40 passes and average 18 yards per catch, then you're doing pretty well with him. And that's almost what he did last season. I'd like, and let's put it like this better than he was last year. Tell me this is true or false. You could fill a sports center top 10 highlight list of Devontae Parker snaps this summer. True or false. I think you probably could. I mean, like yeah. this this weekend alone, he had the deep completion over Razul Douglas, but he also like ripped the ball away from the <laughs> Packers defender. And like, I genuinely don't know if there's another pass catcher on this Patriots roster who does that. Like maybe Juju Smith-Schuster could if he's downfield, but like we see it time and time again with Devontae Parker and you can, you know, quibble about what the competition is, if it's against Isaiah Bolden, if it's against, a you know, whichever cornerback on the Packers. But he has that strength and that ability and that body control to win those contested catches. And I think that that's only going to gain him or earn him more trust from Mac Jones to be making those throws because you were talking about speed earlier, where I don't know if you would have that confidence in Taekwon Thornton in a game to, to throw that deep ball or to throw a contested pass or, or something like that. And after seeing, like you said, that ESPN Sports Center top 10 plays from Devontae Parker this summer. Like <laughs> you see it enough. And it, maybe it's not on every play, but you see it enough. He's a boomer bust player, a 50 yeah. 50 guy that's trying to tilt the odds 60 40 right. on these contested catches, 70 30. He said 80 20 once. I think uh, he's he's doing a lot more booming than, than yeah. I won't say the second word. Um, let's go on player <laughs> position <laughs> as you discourage. Good Lord. Uh, I, I mentioned the offensive line. 
I think the, the bigger takeaway here, because we can make a big deal of the 13 sacks I saw on Wednesday, trimmed down to just eight uh, between Mac and Zappi on Thursday, is that Riley Reef is at right guard now. And City Sal, fourth round rookie, talked about it before, is at right tackle. And as someone who has said, we need to give him time and patience that this is not great. Again, he hasn't played this position since 2018. Uh, he seems to be improving. And we heard from Trent Brown, who said as much. I, I don't know what the exact quote is. You wrote about this leaps and bounds or something to that effect. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not here to measure the offensive line play where I only see it live. And, you know, I'll mark down the sacks, things that are obvious that I can say definitively. Like, I, you'd rather watch the tape as far as hurries or technique or what went wrong when it comes to the offensive line. The depth is still not great. Uh, but Reef at guard is interesting as you still wait to have Mike on who come back. Cole Strange come back because here was the line left to right Trent Brown, Antonio Maffi, David Andrews, Reef, and then City Sal. Um, and then Connor McDermott didn't practice on Thursday and he's just, he's just had a rough summer. Part yeah, of it's out of his hands. So if you have anything to add to that, um, fire away now because I have one other group that was a, I was a little discouraged by. Yeah, discouraged by, by the offensive line in general. I do think it's interesting that we're seeing Riley Reef at guard and City Sow at tackle. I don't know if that continues into the regular season, but just the fact that Sow has basically moved up from the scout team to the second team and now the starters, and obviously there's injuries involved there, but I'd say that that's a, a good progress for a rookie who was playing guard for the last four seasons and now is at least working with Mac Jones or protecting Mac Jones on that first team line. Uh, one thing really quick, just, you know, player that is a little bit discouraging. I would probably throw Tyquan Thornton in there as well. Just obviously he made the good catch on Thursday, but the fact that he immediately left practice afterwards yeah. and wasn't seen again, it's just, it's a trend with him at this point. And it's an unfortunate trend, but you'd like to see the guy actually stay on the field for more than seven days at a time at this point. Now, I'll say this, and this is there's no hard reporting. This is reckless, reckless speculation on my part. But in, right. in looking at him after the play and the way he didn't display any outward sign of injury doesn't mean I know anything. Uh, I wouldn't rule out a concussion, possibly for Taekwon. And we'll await right. more reporting. You and I will try to dig. Yeah. Patriots, of course, I lived about injuries, yeah. uh, but we'll see. And that could be it because you know what? Concussions deserve to be in a separate category. That's yeah. why I mentioned yeah, this. Sure. And then soft yeah. tissue injuries or other things. Right. Uh, the other group I was slightly discouraged by, it's – it shouldn't be as much of an issue come the regular season if Mike Kosicki comes back for week one as the Patriots are reportedly hopeful that he will. Back up tight ends. Uh, Anthony Ferkser had three catches on Thursday. None for Matt Sokol, Johnny Lumpkin, Scotty Washington. There's another. I always forget one of the four backup tight ends. Maybe no, I, think, I think you got them all. I think, I, think I did. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah, we played name, name the Patriots tight ends at quick slants with Tom Kurt on Tuesday. And I forgot one. It was my game. It's um, easy to do. It's just... Again, these guys, when Hunter Henry's healthy and Mike Kosicki's healthy, number three tight ends. Those guys are typically blockers. They're in. They're extra offensive linemen, not to be concerned uh, about. But Mike Kosicki's not healthy. Hunter Henry, until the last two years of the Patriots, had a history of being unhealthy. Anything there that you saw or, or made a big deal of? Well, I think you need to legitimately change your offense if Mike Kosicki isn't healthy to start week one because you aren't just going to slot Anthony Ferkser into those roles. And that would be the guy who I would put on this team among that group of backup tight ends right now over Matt Sokol, over Scotty Washington, over Johnny Lumpkin. And you would just see a lot more 11 personnel with another wide receiver on the field. That would probably be Kendrick Bourne. Um, but I, I'd say like I was very, very minorly encouraged by what I saw out of Anthony Sparkser just because like I feel like I've barely written down 86 all summer <laughs> and I finally started to write down the number 86. 
I still feel like I haven't written down number 17 for Scotty Washington or number 83 for Johnny Lumpkin and Matt Sokol has disappeared. So like Ferkser would be the guy who's impressed a little bit, but you also like, you know who Anthony Ferkser is right now, right? Like yeah. even just based on what he's done throughout his career, you could probably slot him in there for like 150, 200 yards in a season or something like that. But just the upside of the offense is so much higher with Mike Kosicki, but at least you saw something out of Ferkser where you could look at him and be like, okay, maybe he can be that player that he was two, three years ago with the Titans, you know? Okay. Maybe, maybe you've uh, turned me around on this one because for <laughs> Ferkser, first of all, Anthony Ferkser is a living, you know, caution flag to say, okay, your time has ended to talk offense. It's time to jump over to defense. Like 100%. we don't need a deep dive, but Ferkser in a way that Johnny Lumpkin can't. And I think Matt Sokol has tried, but I haven't seen anything uh, encouraging on this and you can't move me off this very hot take about four string tight end Matt Sokol. <laughs> Ferkser can move into the backfield. He's done that. Yeah. He can play a little yeah. bit of full back. And so that way it unlocks more two back runs and things schematically mm-hmm. that when you only play with one running back in the backfield, uh, and Hunter Henry's not a lead blocker. Mike Kosicki yeah. is not a blocker, period, no. that can do different things. Would I still yeah. put him on the field at the expense of, you know, a Kedrick Bourne uh, or a Gesicki or Demario Douglas? No, but um, just something to file away. Okay, on to the defense. Fight! We had brouhaha, scrums, skirmishes, shoves, everything over the top. The one play I will note of all those fights that we saw and we documented and tweeted about them. Uh, folks at home probably know what we're talking about by now. Anthony Jennings was the only player to get kicked out, deservedly so. Uh, there's Undraft, the rookie from the Packers, who took a swing at Keon White, king of the instigators, Keon White, which when you're six foot five, 290 pounds, yeah, he flung a helmet straight into the sky out of this scrum. It just popped up like it was someone had shaken up a Coke bottle or dropped a Mentos in there. Yeah. Woo, there it went. Anyway, landed in the arms of a nearby referee. Keon White, in the middle of multiple scrums, takes the edge of this swing from a Packers undrafted rookie. And Anthony Jennings comes charging from 20 yards away and just tries to level him in the back of the head or neck. So both of them are gone. The fights to me, again, not a big deal. This is how it goes. They're exciting. They're fun. This is the time of year for this stuff. It's hot, heated. Uh, Aside from that, unless you have more to add, because you watched all of this, I I didn't see most of these fights uh, watching the offense, uh, which stood out. Yeah. Well, first of all, in the fights, it never reached like a melee status. I think that things were worse last year with the Panthers where like there was just constantly swinging like this was they had to bring the teams together a couple times it was fun to watch it's fun to see them kind of go at it it was fun to hear Jabil Peppers kind of egg things <laughs> on by by chattering constantly at the Packers but I think know, Jabril Peppers when he order. inhales takes in 1.5 times the oxygen that the rest of us do because he was <laughs> non-stop chirping at all of the Packers on the sideline most notably Jair Alexander with whom he dapped up uh, after the Patriots yeah. scored a touchdown on that defense and just said, what's up? So he just, you know, it's Jabril Pepper season, wrote about it, been talking about it. But uh, anyway, I would not want to be someone on the other side of the line scrimmage from him for multiple reasons. One other thing I've noticed that there were no one-on-one drills during the yes. strong practices. And that was something that we kind of heard beforehand that maybe they wouldn't do that. Um, the What, what you know, the, the Packers had some fights with the Bengals last week and they just didn't yeah. want things to get that bad. I think things could have gotten worse if there were one-on-ones out there. So maybe that was a good call, but quite honestly, it doesn't really matter that much if players fight as long as no one gets hurt. So what stood out, I think the pressure stood out that the Patriots were able to generate. Dietrich Wise was just constantly in the backfield. Um, Matthew Judon, Josh Uche, 
seemed to be in the backfield quite often when they were paired up uh, on the edge there. We saw Keon White getting in the backfield. We saw some other, you know, younger defenders, Christian Barmore, Jeremiah Farms Jr., those guys get in the backfield. So this was a Packers offensive line that did not feature David Bakhtiari, but whether it was the first team, second team, the Patriots were pretty consistently putting pressure on Jordan Love, Sean Clifford, and Alex Magoo, uh, which, you know, that's what... I, I'm sorry. I, I still can't believe Alex Magoo is a, is a real NFL. So I, I had no idea how to pronounce his last name. I, cause I was asking Packers reporter, quite honestly, no offense to Alex Magoo, but I was like, has number 17 been this bad all of camp? Because <laughs> like, like he was throwing passes where I didn't even know who the intended receiver was like what seemed like more often than not. Uh, and I think I said like, is it Mago McGough? And they were like, no, it's actually Magoo, like Mr. Magoo. I was like, oh, that actually makes things a little bit worse. Uh, so he did kind of look like Mr. Magoo out there, uh, not being able to see, and who knows who he was throwing to. But um, yeah, no, I'd say that it was the pressure. The pressure is what stood out the most. Um, and then also Patriots cornerbacks were getting on their hands on the ball pretty frequently against the Packers. And when you're going up against Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, obviously those aren't the most experienced proof receivers but they are young receivers who are ascending who showed a lot of potential last year so it was a pretty good test for a young patriots defensive back core so just like with the patriots offense i want to focus on the two minute drills that the starting defense had yeah. uh, against jordan love who went 13 of 21 in those two drills the one on day one he was five of seven obviously much more successful and in an earlier period like i, I thought they were running two minute drills you know when all both teams moved on to one field, because otherwise they're split, they're going simultaneously one offense versus another defense, same in the other field. Uh, and in the first period that I thought was a two minute drill, wasn't he slung a long touchdown to Christian Watson, 50 mm -hmm. yards and split Christian Gonzalez and Jalen Mills. And what I think was yep. covered too. Um, don't have a film, which I could tell you the next day. Well, in the next drill, the actual two minute drill, he had to nickel and dime them and got downfield and it was fine, but it wasn't what we saw with the 50 yard touchdown Thursday, more nickel and diming. He was six of 14, including a couple drops. And that drive ended with him th floating kind of a prayer on an extended play to the end zone for Luke Musgrave, rookie tight end at Oregon State, would have been great as a Patriot, in my opinion. Uh, but he dropped the ball, fell to the turf, and that was it. So they didn't score. Patriots held them off in that two-minute drill. The interesting thing, though, aside from how Jordan Love did, was Keon White was starting right in the middle of that defensive line, interior rusher on those yeah. days. Marcus Jones was an outside corner. And so this for me highlights players and positions I was encouraged by that defensive line freaking got after it nine sacks on Wednesday alone. And then I was a little worried about Marcus Jones who got picked on for two catches in that two minute drill on Wednesday, allowed more on Thursday, had a near interception, but I can't tell because for the folks at home, like we're watching behind the Patriots sideline where it's just six foot to six foot six giant human beings in front of you with helmets and pads on. So it's difficult to tell everything. That's why some of this was great. When I talk about the pressure that you saw and we saw on the two-minute drill, that was the most encouraging part about this. The secondary and the outside corner depth, it's kind of the same story about, okay, if Jonathan Jones isn't here, Jack Jones might be going away, what are their options? Right. And I don't. I still don't love Marcus Jones as an outside cornerback. We've talked about this before, but like he could be giving up eight to nine inches on 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 another wide receiver. Like he on a wide receiver, he's five foot eight. Like there are six foot five wide receivers out there. That's a dramatic height difference. And we saw that a little bit last year against what was it, Devontae Adams, where like 
he was in pretty close coverage at times, but sometimes, you know, wide receivers are just bigger than him and are going to reach over him and make a catch. So I still don't love Marcus Jones outside. Um, and the one thing I will say, and I think this is a little bit too early on this, but Isaiah Bolden was out there making some plays <laughs> and I only bring it up because like how many times have the Patriots hit on a late round or undrafted cornerback yeah. at this point? So like, you know, JC Jackson, Malcolm Butler, Randall Gay, Jonathan Jones, all these guys undrafted, like you can't discount Bill Belichick's ability to deeply scout cornerbacks and find that diamond in the rough. And Isaiah Bolden has been up and down. He's been a little bit shaky this summer, but he asserted himself well against the Packers. It was mostly, I'd say, against second stringers, but he was getting his hand on the ball. He's six foot two. He runs a four, three forty. Like he's got the tools to be a really good cornerback in the NFL, just putting all those things together. So I don't know if that's encouraging with everything else going on, uh, but it's at least a possibility that he could be an ascending player. They could also move Jalen Mills back there. Um, and just, yeah, I'd say that 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 was a positive to to come out of this week's practice because we've seen a little bit of that from Bolden, but it was good to see him do it against another team. So my positive is the defensive line. If we talk about Wise, Judon, uh, Jachuze got in there for a sack. Keon White, again, is just a, a beast. He trucked a teammate in a punt return drill and just kept going. Like, yes. I, I, it, it was something that we saw and was was almost totally unbothered by the fact that he ran over another person. Uh, and moved on aside from the Packers taking exception to virtually all of his other punt return reps on Thursday and starting all these fights, which of course he engaged with as well. As far as the corners and Marcus Jones is the one that had me discouraged. It's not his choice that he was put at outside corner. I'm sure he's happy to do it. He played it in college. He's a competitive kid. He's very gifted. Just five foot eight is five foot eight. I've said this. I won't believe the point anymore. Looking at the other corners though, because people are going to ask how did Christian Gonzalez look? He gave up four catches on Wednesday. It was down to three yesterday, and most of them were of the nickel and dime variety. Flat route here, slant over there. His best play stopped the touchdown on the two-minute drill Thursday where he reached around Christian Watson without pulling him, no defensive pass interference here, and knocked the ball away. A play athletically that very few, if any of the Patriots corners right now, can make. Like He's just that kind of gifted to get around and make it. Jack Jones uh, didn't rep with the first-team defense uh, on that two-minute drill, as far as I could see, maybe rotated in. But Gonzalez and Marcus Jones are the ones to start. Miles Bryant, sorry for the anti-Miles Hive, uh, was at Nickelback. He gave up uh, a touchdown on Wednesday. Didn't have a great practice. Thursday, 0 for 3 when targeted. So didn't allow a catch in yeah. team periods. And had a magnificent punt after Sean Clifford, the rookie backup for the Packers, threw a touchdown prayer to the end zone that went off of Adrian Phillips' hands. And knocked over to this tight end whose name I've already forgotten, Chad something. And he uh, caught Cody it. Crest. Crest, thank you. Uh, and they go nuts. And from just like Keon White ripping some Packers helmet skyward, Mentos in the soda can or in the soda bottle, Jack Jones takes the ball that had just been used to score this touchdown and unleashes all of the fury and ferocity uh, in his 180-pound body into that ball that might have just landed in Milwaukee. Um, so good for Jack Jones, but in seriousness, over three, when targeted is big, we don't know when he'll be available. His court date, this was supposed to be today, pushed back people I've talked to. It's completely normal. Uh, part of the process for him, it was a probable cause hearings. He faces several gun related, uh, felony charges, but 
I was encouraged. I, I'm a little, the ceiling on my hope for Christian Gonzalez, I think is a little lower than it was yeah. maybe two weeks ago, but he's a rookie. Like some of these roller coaster and these bumps are to be expected. Yeah, I think that Jack Jones rebounded really well from Wednesday's practice where he wasn't quite as impressive. And Jalen Mills even talked about that, where he said that he was kind of studying some of the routes that the Packers were able to beat him on, weren't able to beat him on those same routes, and also weren't able to beat him on additional routes from there. One thing that I will say is that like the Packers crowning achievement on Thursday was that play where Adrian <laughs> Phillips should have caught the ball. He knocked it back to Cody Crest and he scored for the touchdown. Like Cody Crest, thank you. That was like that's damning for the Packers that that's the best thing that happened to them is that Adrian Phillips dropped an interception. Cody Crest caught it for a touchdown because that's much more on the Patriots. Phillips not being able to catch the ball. No one else batting it down to the ground afterwards. No one catching it. That that was worse for the Patriots than it was good for the Packers. So um, th- I think that that just kind of goes to show how solid of a day, solid of a day overall it was. Uh, for the Patriots. All right, last thing in the defense, and then we'll hand out some awards. Um, linebackers, we haven't talked about yet. Juwan Bentley had a sack yesterday and a pass breakup. Jelani Tavai, pass breakup, gave up a catch. This is a group that still is finding itself, I think. Uh, Marte Mapu, however, knows exactly who he is. Mm-hmm. And in the words of someone I talked to uh, within the team after they drafted him, he is a dog. Okay, so not, <laughs> not great. Reporting, there's no headline there. It's just someone they trust. He's fierce. He's physical. And to that point, uh, as you saw, put Tucker Kraft, another rookie tight end for the Packers, on his back. Kraft needed attention. Mapu didn't mean to go that hard. This wasn't, you know, tackling all the way to the ground uh, on certain plays. But, man, that guy is still playing linebacker. He's still playing safety. And he's going to hit hard wherever he is on the field and make you feel him in a way you don't always feel players at either position. Yeah, he's an undersized linebacker if he plays linebacker since he's 6'3", 230 pounds. But, like, Tucker Kraft is a big tight end. He put him on his back, sent him to the training table. Fortunately, Kraft was able to come back, but like it was a it was a hard hit, and you're starting to see what Marte Mabu can actually bring to the defense now that that red non-contact jersey is off. So that was definitely good to see. All right, MVP. Who do you got? I think you'll go with Mac on this one just because he was hmm. so good on Thursday. Um, there's some other choices in there, but like the MVP usually goes to the quarterback, right? <laughs> and Mac Jones, I think, was good enough on Thursday to justify getting that award, at, le- at least in my eyes. So I was tempted to go Mac, and I think he was fine Wednesday. You know, most of the issues were pressure related, yeah. not his fault. But I went Dietrich twice. I mean, the three sacks that you had for him on Wednesday, yeah. and then watching him again from different alignments, you know, running with that two minute drill. Uh, defense that they have, which is really like, okay, here are your best players, you know, your most high leverage situations, go run off and go pressures. He's active. He was everywhere. Like he had the most pressure of any of those players. And so for me, you know, if this team is going to be led by its defense and that defense is going to be led by his pass rush, you know, what you got from Matt Judon, Uche will come in when it's third down, but wise is the guy who had a career year and broke out last year. And I think will deliver a lot more of those hurries that lead to big plays as opposed to being the guy that wraps up quarterbacks. But he was doing both in these joint practices. So shout out to him. Uh, offensive player, I would be surprised if you disagree. But um, Devontae Parker, for me, I mentioned, mm-hmm. I think I said six catches. He actually had seven over the two days. The long touchdown, another one of the red zone, just ripped straight from uh, the clutches of a Packers defender. One in a variety of routes. That's really encouraging uh, to me for him. Offensive player for you? It would be Devontae Parker. And like, 
him beating someone downfield in stride is a really good sign as well because he's not the fastest wide receiver. He's usually Shocking. a contested Let, touch guy. Let's just call what it is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's what, 6'3, 220 pounds. So, like, that's typically not going to be the fastest receiver on a team. But yeah, for him to beat Razul Douglas, who's a, a very experienced cornerback, a good cornerback in the NFL, he's had some really good years. That was even just really encouraging to see. So, yeah, I'd definitely go with Parker on that one. Defensive player of the week. Who you got? I would go with Wise, just based on, like you said, he was constantly in the backfield, uh, had a career year last year. It's funny where, like, looking at, I, I mean, it's not the most interesting thing for, like, a casual observer to do, but, like, Dietrich Wise's career has gone in a in a very odd way where, like, he was kind of a more of a situational player early in, earlier in his career. And, like, his ascension has come at a strange time when he is kind of getting up there in years, but like to have a career year when he did, I think that we might start to see that become a little bit more of the norm for him to see him play a bunch of snaps out there. I think the Patriots are depending on him more. He's taken on more of a leadership role. So that's been a big win for the Patriots. As far as that 2017 draft goes, the only big win for them in that draft. Uh, But he's been a, a very dependable player. And, you know, if anything, it seems like he's becoming more disruptive as his career goes on. To that point, if folks listening to this, which it's either late on a Friday or sometime Saturday, so you probably have some time, visit Dietrich Wise's pro football reference page because you will see his quarterback hits, his his career high, single season high for his career. It's still 2017. It's the most difficult career to understand as a pass rusher who's now breaking out in his late 20s, a position that's typically reliant on so much explosion and natural physical ability. Uh, now deep into a second contract, which got paid pretty handsomely coming off of just two and a half sacks that last season. Uh, I, I think he's had it for many more. Seven and a half last year was a new high. He'll play more. Uh, good for teacher twice. My defensive MVP, Matt Judon. He was mixing it in in the run game, as well as you documented and shared with me, watching him in the two-minute drill. He's still that same player. He had a sack of Jordan Love, you know, sack in quotes, uh, a couple of the day before. Also initiated some of those scrums, it sounded like, on Thursday. So yeah. you want to talk about a tone setter. Uh, you know, for better or for worse, uh, sometimes. But in this case, it sounded like for the better. And he's my defensive player of the week. Yeah, yeah. Judon was very solid. Uh, and like I said, him and him and Josh Uche coming off the edge. That's gonna be. I mean, a defensive line of Judon, a potential defensive line of Judon Uche, Dietrich Wise, and Keon White is just that's gonna be an issue for for opposing quarterbacks, or at least it should be. An issue you might be reading about in Herald uh, on Sunday. So stay tuned. Okay. Other players of note, we we've covered a lot. This has been exceptionally yeah. thorough for two days of joint practices, but again, these two practices mean so much more to the team and should mean more to you. Even if you can't watch them, which is, it's just too bad. If, if, if this were me, I would say televise them, you know, make them accessible to right. fans because green Bay fans got to go and watch these. Um, they mean so much more. Other players would know. Yeah, you know, we talked about Bolden. Kyle Duggar had an interception. You saw in the end zone of Jordan Love. Mm-hmm. That's his fourth yeah. of the summer. He is a certified ball hawk. Uh, at least over the last four weeks. Uh, Adrian Phillips is in there, Jarrell Peppers. We talked about you know, him talking smack, the offensive line. Again, we can't pinpoint some of these plays. Like Bill Murray, you know, when Connor McDermott was out Thursday, is the backup right tackle. Right. He's healthy again. But I, I don't think folks are tuning in to listen to Bill Murray, uh, at least not that one, um, which is only the billionth time he's heard that. Sorry, second Bill Murray. Uh, anything else? What am I missing? Uh, I, I feel like John Bentley was able to make some plays out there. Uh, like you mentioned, Jabril Peppers, Kyle Duggar had the interception. Um, otherwise, I feel like we've talked about almost every player. Keyshawn Booty had a nice Thank touchdown. You. I was just going to um, say him, yeah. In the red zone. 
Malik Cunningham caught maybe a touchdown. Oh. Might have been a sack. Might have been a touchdown. Well, let's stay with those two really quickly um, because Kayshawn Booty had was caught two of five targets on Thursday, one of which was a drop. He was four of four on Wednesday, but half of those catches came on plays that by Myers Harding were definitive sacks of Bailey Zappi. So it's hard to give that guy credit as much as, you know, he built a Twitter buzz for reasons that we're all aware of. Um, that Booty was as impressive as his stat line would indicate. Malik Cunningham, by the way, uh, three quarterback snaps on Wednesday and then zero yesterday. So very curious what that looks like for him in Saturday night's game. Yeah, I'm curious about that too. I I seem to, I don't know. I I, I wouldn't be surprised if he got quarterback snaps on Thursday. Uh, I guess I'll no. leave it at that, but I also don't know that for sure. But I, I certainly would not be surprised if we saw him out there just because I think they are going to give him the opportunity to maybe, you know, Eclipse Trace McSorley for that number three role. And uh, we'll just kind of see how that goes. But I wouldn't be surprised if he saw four quarterbacks on, on Saturday. Yeah, very, very little of Trace McSorley, uh, whom people are also not tuning in to see. Great guy, uh, but had a tough camp. Okay, mailbag. Let's fly through these. Uh, Corey wants to know, of all the current injuries, how many players do you see being available for week one? Um, Most... I think I would say um, I heard that Michael Owenu would be close for week one. So that's not a guarantee. Uh, at least that's my take on, on hearing that. Uh, and then I think Gasicki, I, I don't know anything beyond Ian Rapport's reporting on that, but it sounded like that would potentially be in question as well. But uh, I don't think there's a ton of concern about Cole Strange. Trent Brown is already out there. Jonathan Jones, Karen Gregan of uh, Mass Live reported that he's expected back for week one. And I guess beyond that, it's like it's like probably guys like Pierre Strong that you're you're talking about beyond that who don't really matter quite as much. So I think that most of those injury situations will be resolved. We we don't know anything really about Kelvin Anderson, though, as well, because he's still on that non-football injury list or non-football illness list. And we've seen him. He's been present, but just not in uniform at all. Yeah, and Tycon Thornton, we still don't know. Keon White was down on the field for 20, 30 seconds. Connor McDermott. Uh, remained yeah. on the sideline right. and, and seemed to be okay. Walked with a little bit of a limp, but, you know, his teammates were taking it fairly casually, which I think is sometimes, you know, the most primitive and basic indicator of how, how a guy's doing. And it's, they're not doctors, just like we aren't, but I think no. a pretty strong indicator nonetheless. Okay, uh, Gary, going big picture. There's a reasonably optimistic path for the Patriots to finish top 16 in offense, top eight in defense. So it's above average on offense and, mm -hmm. and very good to a lead on defense. If they do that, the Patriots finish with blank number of wins. Um, 10. I guess yeah, I would say, say, I would say nine or 10. Yeah. I mean, it um, depends on the metric, you know, EPA, DVOA, right. uh, points. I wouldn't use yards, but, you know, in that case, like you should have a winning record. And so that would be nine or 10. And I think that like to get into like 11 and beyond, I think you probably have to be like top 10 offense, yes. top five defense. Yeah. Or at least top 10 in both. Uh, and that's right. just, it's just hard to see a path through that uh, offensively. Um, all right. Claire, she uh, <laughs> self-described tight end enthusiast, and she is so excited to see Mike Kosicki, handsome guy as well. Uh, she says, quote, that said, I know he's injured. So do you think they will hold three tight ends, even if Kosicki is back? And if so, are you aboard with Sokol train? Uh, with me uh i didn't know there was a social train so i i don't think i can say that based on my earlier comments no catches yesterday in practice uh, i'm off of it i will say matt sokol looks the part like uh, he looks the part in the way yeah. that some players just don't which tells you how much just looking at a guy tells you about his football ability it's yeah. just 
there's a reason he spent most of his career in practice squads. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think he's a hardworking guy and you'd love just to have more out of, but I think he's giving you everything he has. And sometimes that results in practices like we saw Thursday, zero catches, mm-hmm. minimal blocking. And so if it's going to be a guy right now, I think if they do keep three, it would be Ferkser like we talked about. Yeah, I, I was ready to conduct the uh, the Scotty Washington train, but that that didn't get out of the, out of the station. <laughs> you asked Bill summer. about him day day one of camp, right? Uh, I think it was in the spring. He's, I think it was like okay. late in the spring, and he was he was all about Scotty Washington, but yeah. hasn't hasn't manifested itself during training camp. But yeah, I like well, like we said earlier, I think Furcher would be the guy up to this point. But really, truly, until the last few days or so, none of those number three tight end candidates were standing out. Yeah, uh, Scotty Washington, M-I-A. At Hambino, 78. Quote, do you think DeMarcus Mitchell getting cut signals a potential philosophy change from Bill? Sorry for laughing in the middle of your question. Regarding special teams, hopefully, in Hambino's opinion, fewer special team-only guys are on the roster. Uh, So DeMarcus Mitchell was cut this week. I had noted in the preseason game and in the ensuing practices Sunday and Monday that he had been replaced in their core special teams units by Calvin Munson, who is a backup linebacker, started with um, the Giants, came to the Patriots, signed up to the practice squad 19, played a couple years in Miami in a reserve role, obviously back in New England, and is likely headed for the practice squad. But if Calvin Munson makes a team, it'll be because he's a core special teamer. And then you throw him in with Matthew Slater, Brennan Schooler, Chris Board, maybe a mere speed you're back up to five so the sh- the cutting of mitchell i think was more that unlike munson he doesn't really impact defense you know munson's yeah. still your third string linebacker but that was right. the issue there the other part about mitchell is that he was the third special teamer cut in the last few days uh, mm-hmm. so yes bill cut three players of that ilk he still has five or six <laughs> i don't yeah. I see a big philosophy shift and I, i'm sorry to disappoint you him you know but i think that's just where it is they're just you know, shuffling around the chairs uh, as opposed to taking more out because there were just a ton to begin with. You're, look, you're looking at basically, including specialists, 15% of your roster were guys that only played on special teams last week. I wouldn't go so far as to call it a phil- philosophical. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to say that word. Philosophical change. But like Jordan Heilig, who is another one of the guys who was cut, special teams only to Marcus Mitchell. Like these are guys that they've invested special teams resources in, and then they were among the first players cut. So I find it notable, not ready to say that that's a shift or a change or anything like that, but usually you might see, you know, a backup defensive tackle or backup running back or whatever it was cut before one of these guys that they put a lot of time into grooming as special teamers. And this time it was those special teams only guys uh, that they were cutting, but there also just could be extenuating circumstances where DeMarcus Mitchell has been kind of banged up. Jordan Heilig was like this really out of nowhere undrafted free agent. So that's why I'm hesitant to say it's some sort of actual shift because I do think that they will still keep more special teams only players than most teams around the NFL. True. All right. Enough special teams. Uh, last one from Jordan. Uh, who's he's looks like he's feeling down uh, quote, given how sloppy this team has been the last few years, 12 men on them field penalties, not getting the play call in on time, pointless timeouts, not lining up correctly. Shouldn't the starters being play be playing? Shouldn't the starters play these preseason games End quote? Um, they will like they're, they're going to get in there in week two and three, like week one of the preseason, it, no one really put starters out there. So it would be weird for the Patriots to do that. I'm just kind of curious to see how much the starters play because I think Mac Jones only played like six snaps last year in the second week of the preseason, like mm-hmm. 10 or 15 or something like that. 
in week three um, with a new offense, like Jordan said, with some of the sloppy play, maybe you try to put them out there for a little bit longer, but you also don't want to get them injured. And you're also, you know, going through some of these, these situations in these joint practices. So I, I wouldn't say that, you know, it, it's worth being critical of the Patriots if they aren't putting their starters out there more in the preseason. No, because the other side of that, right, is the injury risk. And so-and-so right. gets hurt, and you're like, why the hell was he in a game that doesn't matter and is meaningless, and you just held joint practices, which right. all the media is telling me are more important. The coaches are saying are more important. The players know are more important. And that he's out there still after that in two practices. So they will play. It's much more of an operational thing, which, as Jordan mentions, was an issue last year. I would also confine most of those problems to last season. You know, like it wasn't, as far as I remember, 2021, you're having those litany of penalties where you're going, this is an undisciplined team. It's not fundamentally sound. Like they were coaching issues. They were mostly in offense when you had Matt Patricia and Joe Judge at the helm. That's what happened. That's what we thought was going to happen and did. This year, very different. And as we've mentioned, I think in the pod, and certainly written about, fewer pre-snap penalties than any training camp I can remember off the top of it. Not that I have a chart next to my bedside of how many false starts are in training camp since I've been covering the team since 2018. But if I did... Uh, I'm sure the number would be very low. So I would it's not just your bedside. It's on your refrigerator. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay. I, I should fess up. That wasn't fair. Um, but I would just uh, preach patience and look, if the issues still crop up, obviously it's a major problem, but I would, uh, I would fresh start as Mac Jones said with him and Bill Belichick, Jordan, give it, give it, give it a fresh start. Uh, summer's only going to last here so long. And then we'll have football in September. We're closing in on, on three weeks, man, until the opener. Uh, I feel like, I've been incredibly lucky to have you aboard here at the Herald. I think we're, we're doing a great job. I think there's a lot of fun doing this episode. I told you at the start, we're not going to go for an hour. Uh, I broke that promise. We did. But I think the fans are better for it. And the fans are better Definitely. for this podcast brought to you by FanDuel, exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Any uh, final thoughts? Um, No, I don't think so. It was a fun trip out to Green Bay. Excited to do it again next week in Nashville. And uh, yeah, excited to see how much more this team progresses. Yeah, we need to get uh, Pepsi on on the phone, given how much money that what they're going to be receiving from us on these road trips, Diet Dew, and uh, what was it, Mountain Dew Zero Baja Blast you had there? <laughs> so yeah, bad. here's a Mountain Dew Zero empty one next to the, next to my recording studio here in the hospital bathroom. Yeah, yeah, we need to uh, we need to get some stock in there, some sort of deal. Uh, so we'll yeah. be on the phone next time. Maybe there'll be a new sponsor, which we have, by the way, new sponsors coming in, which is a sign of growth through this podcast. And if you're still listening uh, at this point, I would just ask and urge you. Please rate and review. We had a couple more the last time I asked. It's huge for growth. This means a lot to me personally. It means to everyone who works in this podcast and puts it together. Feedback, good or bad, email me, tweet me, but especially five stars on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review. It would be incredibly, incredibly helpful as we continue to grow with the people who support us, give them some support as well, starting with FanDuel. Okay, you've got to go. Thank you for spending so much time from the hospital. Read Doug, follow Doug. I'll listen to him, especially when he's on his podcast. Thank you, my guy. Absolutely. Talk to you later.